the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson. Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. This has just been a great day for me. Two of my favorite people, uh, uh, two of my favorite public servants, two of my uh, favorite friends. We just concluded an hour with uh, Supreme Court uh, Justice uh, William Montgomery, and we now have with us uh, former mayor of Tempe, attorney and uh, educator, Hugh Hallman, as we do every Tuesday in our third hour. And there is a lot to do with Hugh. And we even have calls. Hugh, do you want to start off with saying about July 4th? Should we go to calls? You want to talk about uh, what took place uh, in the shooting in Illinois? We can probably do it all. But where would you like to start? Let me just start by saying thank you for putting me into the class of people that uh, are represented by William Montgomery. Uh, I've listened to some people refer to him as Bill. I refer to him as Mr. Justice. Okay. Uh, but you guys... You were, have to. <laughs> were, 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 actually, I have nothing pending before okay. the Supreme Court okay. and likely won't. But um, truly, listening to you to discuss the founding of this country and the principles behind it and the fact that we are not a, a perfect place, that Thomas Jefferson struggled as he's writing the Declaration of Independence, that Madison struggled to write the Constitution because they both understood the imperfections of the society. But I have to quote one thing. The opening of the Constitution includes the phrase, in order to form a more perfect union, unquote, that demonstrates everyone involved understood the place was not perfect, was not yet perfect. The document was not yet perfect. It was aspirational to lead us forward into a better society. The compromises contained in the Constitution itself would lead to further struggle and challenge. Ultimately, the Civil War is an example of that. But I challenge anyone who sits in this country or anywhere else across this globe to point to a more perfect union than this. Imperfect as it is, those who do not understand the freedoms that they get to exercise on a daily basis and breathe the air of this society are fools. That's that's as well stated as anything I've ever heard, Hugh Hallman. You used an interesting word, compromises, because I think it is our task to understand something that I think is lost in the pedagogy around all of this, which is the difference between the compromises and the principles of our founding. People don't understand that there was a distinction. It's illustrative by learning the history of what the founders steadily did as they could within the confines of the Constitution going forward from 1787, once handed off, right? You look at the Northwest Ordinance, the first act in the first Congress, which banned slavery in the expansion of the territories. You looked at the, uh, the, first, the, 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 the first moment the Congress had the opportunity to ban the importation of slaves in 1808. They did it, signed off by you know, all of, uh, signed off by the founding generation. So, and can, neither of us is apologizing right, for the fact that right. slavery existed at all ever. Right. It still exists in this world, unfortunately. And yet we are recognizing, perhaps because we've experienced it, what it takes to take a society from one place to get it forward to the next. And by losing the opportunity to have discussion on very difficult points, as some would want us to do, we're not able to continue to make progress. Nicely put. And by the way, those societies where it exists, it couldn't. 
if they had a declaration and constitution that meant something in those societies. That's correct. And if I may, just before we go to a call, uh, perhaps Jan, because we've got memories and mood of 1776, I want to read something from a foreign country. Oh, please. Written on the occasion of the 246th anniversary of the independence of the United States. This was just, of course, yesterday. Quote, since its early days of independence, America's strength and prosperity have been a testament to the enduring power of its founding ideals. The United States has always been at the forefront of the world economy as well as global politics and progress, commanding a significant role in ensuring international peace and stability. This country is taking lessons from the United States still. It's only 30 years old. Yes, I bored you all with it before, but this is Kazakhstan. That's a letter from the ambassador of Kazakhstan uh, to our Speaker of the House of Representatives on the occasion of uh, yesterday's celebration. And it goes on about what Kazakhstan is uh, trying to draw from the founding and continuing leadership of the United States to improve its society, including that they greatly appreciate the firm support demonstrated by the American partners from government agencies, Congress, civil society, and business communities alike, as we, that's Kazakhstan, continue our efforts towards further political modernization, strengthening our democratic republic and our growing economy. That this is the model for other countries around the world we should uh, celebrate and stop denigrating. See, I don't understand for the life of me how – can I have that letter for a second? Can I see it for a moment? I don't understand for the life of me, and I will die not understanding – how a resident of Kazakhstan can say that, and we have members of Congress in the United States who cannot. There is a history to this country where sometimes people from foreign countries teach us more about ourselves or remind us about ourselves in ways that we perhaps have forgotten or have taken for granted. From the beginning, the Marquis de Lafayette, when the the, uh, Revolutionary War was over, he said, Liberty and freedom have found their home. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville comes here in the 19th century and teaches us probably more about ourselves than most of us understood. Uh, I could go on. G.K. Chesterton comes and writes a book about what he saw in America in 1922, and he opens with a beautiful statement about equality in America and what it actually means. Again and again, we will see this happening uh, where someone from the outside who doesn't have what we have tells us, you fools, embrace and cherish what you have. And you've cited Europeans who have a closer model and opportunity than most from around the world. And I think you see that uh, demonstration in others from even more hard-hit and uh, difficult places uh, singing the praises even louder, Kazakhstan being one of them. This is a society in which a quarter of the population was murdered or starved to death by Stalin in the late 1920s and early 1930s. Six million people in the society drops to 4.5 million people. Imagine a quarter of our population dying. It's a Holocaust. It is a Holocaust. It is a Holocaust. An, uns- uh, an unsung Holocaust in which uh, we we as uh, Westerners know about Ukraine, and it suffered some similar problems, but not even to the extent of Kazakhstan. Here's a Central Asian country that understands with China to its east and Russia to its north and crazy people to the south what it means to try to fight to have the liberty that is given to us on a daily basis. Nicely put. Nicely put. Let's take a few calls, and then we'll do some news of the day as well. Let's start with Jan and Surprise. Hello, Jan. You're on with Hugh Holman and me. Hi, Beth and Lewis and Hugh. Listen, my three favorite people, uh-huh. both, all three of you, have spoken <laughs> at, at our group at different times. And Lewis and 
we, they keep telling us to get you two back. So we're going to work on that after the first of the year because everyone loved having you here. Thank you, okay. Jan. We enjoyed yes. it. And, and Lewis would appreciate the opportunity as well. Listen, I, that's, everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. And Seth, we understand you're coming back in October and talking us about talking to us about Saul Alinsky, so I'm real excited about that. If you give me a microphone, I'll be there. We had the privilege of living in Tokyo during the uh, 200th anniversary of of America. Oh, okay. And we lived in an apartment with uh, Europeans everywhere. We weren't with the military. And like most people went away for the summer, but there were two uh, English couples and two American couples, and we had a fabulous barbecue together. And then we went all together over to the American embassy to see the fabulous fireworks. It was just a privilege that was beyond compare. But this is the point. You made a point about how uh, things are, were different back in that time. Well, let me tell you how different they were real quickly. It was during the Watergate, okay? Mm-hmm. So we were in Japan, and we're trying to get as much information as we can. We waited on Tuesday to get that Time magazine so we can see what happened. And when the leaders of the Republican Party went to Nixon and said, it's time for you to go, okay? Um, Our Europeans said, what is wrong with you people? This guy has done so much for your country, and you're making him quit because he lied to you? And I said, as a good Republican, I said, wait a minute. I'm a Republican. I supported him, but he needs to go. He's going to lie to us. He has to go. So times were different then. But as as Republicans, we, we felt it was important for him to to go at that point. And the Europeans just, they were, it blew them away. But anyway, it was a thrill to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm 80 years old right now, and I'm hoping to last until the 250th anniversary. Oh, bless you, Jim. What a thrill that was. Bless what you. What a thrill that was. Bless what you. What a thrill. Thank so, you. It's an interesting point, Hugh. I was just making it with um, uh, Justice Montgomery in the last hour. You know, things weren't great in 76. At least they weren't great uh, over the past couple of years leading up to 1976, right? Vietnam, uh, oil embargo, uh, the war in the Middle East, of course, and, and the stepping down, unprecedented stepping down of, uh, of a president of the United States. And yet, and yet those antibodies kicked in in 1976, didn't they, with what I'm guessing it was the most beautiful celebration of patriotism since 1926. Best guess. Let's uh, let's pick up on that and take some more calls. And we're going to get to some news of the day. I want to talk a little bit more about the Highland Park shooting with you as well. Let's do all of that. I'll give out the number if more people want to join. We're a busy country. We're a busy show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Hugh Hallman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman is our guest, 602-508-0960. Take a couple more calls, and then we'll get to some news. I want to talk about uh, some politics, some Highland Park stuff. Uh, let's go to Rob, as long as uh, we're in surprise. Let's stay there for a moment. Rob, you're on with Hugh Hallman. Well, hi, Seth. Hi, Hugh. Always enjoy having you on the show, and uh, happy Tuesday to both of you. Thank you. Um, I was thinking about the Highland Park thing, and I was reading that uh, you know the gun, uh, the gun issue in the United States. Uh, you know, people or the media have come out and said, "Oh, you know, we're the most dangerous country on earth." But in truth, if you delete Detroit, Chicago, Baltimore, Washington D.C., St. Louis, Cleveland, and then maybe a couple other places, we rank 189th out of 210 countries in terms of. 
uh, gun violence. So as much as we, you know, hear all the gloom and doom about gun control and gun violence, uh, other than those, oh, and they're all Democrat-run cities, imagine that. Um, it's it's not as bad as the, the media makes it out to be. Um, well, so it's that, it, and 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 also, I mean, it, I, it's 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 the method of delivery as well. I mean, why does the USA Today have a headline: "London's murder rate tops New York City's"? I mean, it may not be a gun, but a death is a death, and a murder is a murder, right? The instrumentality well, right. should be less important than the fact that we have a crime problem. Well, not to the Democrats, though. Okay, you know, you know, because that's the whole gun control thing. Also, um, you mentioned Jessica Chastain. Love the movie, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Great Zero Dark Thirty. So she's the red-haired actress who played the intel officer who helped us kill bin Laden, who put a finger up to America yeah. over the 4th of July on her social media And, and Yeah, but, and in truth, she's actually a composite figure. She was not the only person yeah. in reality who, who did that, but it, I guess it would have made for a less uh, interesting movie. But the non-composite figure made millions of dollars in the uniform of the United States of America, who then showed yeah. her finger to that United States of America. Yeah, it, Literally. That, that part's weird, but I think most actors are kind of strange anyway, and they've got a couple screws loose. Um, okay. I just, I don't understand it myself. But, um, and I, I do, uh, I was going to say to Bill Montgomery, or Judge Montgomery beat Army, but I guess he's long gone now, so <laughs> I'll skip on that. Okay, right thank but you. But he was right, his marks were right on uh, when it comes to people in uniform. Uh, the concern I have now is that the Army has, I think, uh, they're short like 23% of the recruiting goal. They're uh, not necessarily taking high school graduates uh, or taking people with higher uh, ASVAB scores. I think it's a body count, and I think part of it has to do with, you know, the, the, the whole COVID shot thing and people refusing to take it. But Part I, of it has to do with something like... Uh, 30% are ineligible to even join if they want to because of obesity and drugs, which is an awfully sad shame to think about it, Hugh, when you think about that large a portion of American high school students at this level in our country's history that are merely ineligible based on self-abuse which might be, in some respects, a part and parcel of the story of what took place uh, at the parade shooting in, High in Highland Park, too, isn't it? I mean, these lost men, these lost boys um, that, you know, again, here we have a drug-addled youth. Here we again have someone known to law enforcement. Here we have again someone telling us what he's going to do. He does it. And we express surprise in a community that is used to something on the order of between 30 and 50 shootings a weekend anyway, which never make headlines. I mean, they have created their own broken windows, except they've extrapolated it to a city of broken windows and broken souls. It's really a very sad thing. It seems to me it's reversible. It just seems to me there's no will to reverse it. What am I missing? Well, I think it's also consistent with, as you discussed with um – the good justice, that so few young Americans are educated about the founding of this country and what it means uh, to, to be here. Um, the, the fraying of the community fabric that now has so many people uh, seeking solace in drugs and alcohol is, uh, I think, an indictment 
of what we have done to our community at large. Uh, the very social activities that used to keep us together have been uh, the butt of jokes and, and made ridiculous. And so those who still try to cling to notions of family and faith and other other elements that help create a culture um, are, are fewer and farther between. And it is that culture that I'm sitting here celebrating at the opening of this show that it is unique. And our failure to recognize that and instead believe that the only thing we can do is criticize, failing to celebrate the parts that are great and valuable and uplifting is coming at a huge cost. And it should not be a surprise that we have so many people who feel a destitute and and, and a complete loss of, of willing interest in living. Uh, we don't have a community from them anymore. We used to build those communities and that sensibility and that knowledge, all three of those things, through our schools. Uh, I would say that puts a little too much weight on them, but yes, schools, churches, and other community activities. Okay, fair enough. Let me talk to you about the schools for a second because that's an area of expertise of yours. You've built a lot of them. Uh, the NEA, you familiar with it? I am indeed. National Education Association, Close one enough. of the two major teachers' unions in the country. They are having their annual conference one uh, in Chicago this weekend. And uh, may, may I give you uh, their national business issue number 34? Please. NEA will publicly stand in defense of abortion and reproductive rights and encourage members to participate in activities including rallies and demonstrations, lobbying and political campaigns, educational events, and other actions to support the right to abortion contraception and a person's decision about their health. Full stop. Quoting directly. Don't care where you stand on abortion. I just want you to know that this is what the NEA thinks is the biggest one of the issues that needs their requires their attention right now. They do something helpful on that uh, on that plank. They provide the rationale for it. Let me quote directly the rationale. NEA is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks who will fight against these attacks on our members, students, families, and communities, the reproductive rights of all persons who are able to. Uh, yes, I read that sentence correctly. NEA is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks. Maybe that's not a correct sentence, but I read it as they wrote it. Um, Q, I, I don't know whether to call this mush. I don't know whether to call this an abandonment of um, principle or an abandonment of, 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 of task and duty. This is what the professional educators in our country are dedicating themselves, their time, and their energy to. And I wonder if when we come back, you might say something about that and what help our schools can find, what help our parents and children can find when the NEA, the teachers' union, is up to this. Can we talk about that when we come Absolutely. back? Absolutely. As we go to break, let me put in a word for balance of nature, which makes possible conversations just like this on this station balanceofnature.com. I take it every day. It's a blend of 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables, 100% pure, the capsule including the ingredients, the ingredients including the capsule. Boost your energy, boost your health, and boost your immunity with the pure, potent power of plants. I take it every single day. It's my most favorite product I've ever taken, balanceofnature.com. You can check them out yourselves, and if you decide to purchase them, make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I'm Seth Liebson, and he's Hugh Hallman, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is our guest. Uh, for those listening on podcast, they don't hear our music. We came in with – have you ever seen George Thorogood? Not in, But not we not. went out with Bare Naked Ladies, and you recently saw Bare Naked Ladies. I did indeed. And you saw them with a local flavor too, right? With the Gin Blossoms. Which is a Tempe band. Originally a Tempe band, but they went, you know, gold and whatever else one goes and yeah. nationwide and yeah. international. In fact, they do gigs all around the world still, both of those bands do. It was a great show, right? It was fantastic. And yeah. Toad, the wet sprocket, opened for Gin Blossoms. Gin Blossoms then opened for Bare Naked Ladies. It was, it was great. Now, you've never been to Red Rocks, right? I have never been to Red Rocks. I was listening to uh, Adam Carolla talking about a trip he went to Red Rocks, and he was looking at the history of how they built this fantastic venue in the 40s. He said what they did was they took all these kids, 15- and 16-year-olds, who had nothing going on, nothing in their lives going on, were, in the, were kind of in the middle of the Depression, were in the middle of a war that they're too young to serve in, and they have nothing to do. So they put them to work and gave them a job with dignity, and, they, they, and, and he said, and it worked out for these people in a great way as opposed to what we do with 15 and 16 year olds now we don't give them a job we don't give them dignity and we just we tell give them, them we're going to take care we of give them money and let them uh, sit at home playing video games and getting uh, stoned and and we hence build nothing but we destroy a lot as we saw in destroying high, humanity uh, yeah you bet so i was telling you right before the break Hugh, what the nea is up to uh they're up to uh misunderstanding how to conjugate a sentence but that's the least of it they tell us they are a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender nonconforming folks who will fight against attacks on our members, students, families, and communities because the reproductive rights of all persons who are able to are most important. Is this is this what you expect uh, from the teaching profession to be involved in? I mean, this is this, with everything going on, with everything going on. I just didn't know this is what we needed right now. Um, I guess I start with uh, defining one's job, and it's not unusual that uh, the the creep uh, attaches to all sorts of uh, organizations as they get off mission. So mission creep happens to everybody. But because uh, politics is so interesting, as Madison understood, he wanted to make, our, under our Constitution, politics less interesting to people so that they would pay attention to the stuff that was supposed to be important. Uh, and uh, focus on those things. Here we've got uh, the NEA and other similar or similarly displaced, disposed organizations watching their mission creep along as people get uh, in charge of the organization and take them off mission. Uh, I would ask just this question. Is the job you're supposed to do helping and supporting teachers become better and better compensated in their teaching so well accomplished that you should be heading off in these kinds of directions because I think most Americans would hold the teaching profession and the teaching unions uh, to a lower uh, standard and degree uh, of esteem than they do the Supreme Court, which, of course, the press wants to make all kinds of noise about it uh, dropping in esteem of the United States citizenry. Uh, but I don't think teaching, unfortunately, is highly regarded now, and certainly the unions that support uh, and represent teachers are not highly regarded. And this would be an example of that. Uh, when you finally get uh, to the point where teaching is, uh, again, a profession people want to enter, uh, where it's compensated appropriately, and the job that teachers are doing are regarded highly, then maybe you should be venting your spleen on other such things. But I don't think that we'll ever achieve that point. Do you think the teachers' unions are in part responsible or in large part responsible for the lower esteem that teachers are held in today than they were 15, 20, 30 years ago? 
I, I think certainly it's part and parcel of the same problem that you've got organizations that have lost their mission and as a result uh, are not focusing on the issues that would advance the mission of teaching or of teachers. And while uh, I appreciate that a huge percentage of teachers are women, the organizations that want to uh, focus on abortion are probably others than the teachers' union. Mm -hmm. And that it's of interest and passion and they can raise money by uh, touting the, the theme of the day doesn't advance teaching at all. Uh, Hugh, one of the interesting things I was thinking about over the weekend, uh, based on some reading I was doing, was the trajectory of education in this country. Uh, because maybe, yeah, there's the music. We'll come back on this on the other side of it. You're an expert at this. But if you look at the history of education in this country, regardless of all the nonsensical ideas that come and go in any profession, teaching isn't immune to it. We were doing really well, really well, right up until about 1968 or 69 when we started seeing the lowering of SAT, the, the falling of the dropping of SAT scores, and we started measuring achievement using such things as the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP, or the nation's report card, as it's colloquially known. And we started seeing things change after about 1969, 1970. Might we talk a little bit about what changed, if if you agree with that proposition? I do. Standards matter. Right. Well, we saved a segment. <laughs> I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll do a little more when we come back. Welcome back to the Hugh Hallman Show with my producer, Bill. I'm Seth. I'm just a visitor here, I guess, with that music. <laughs> and if you're listening to the podcast, it was Hey Jealousy by the uh, Bern, uh, by uh, the Gin Blossoms. Gin Blossoms, yes. Welcome back. Uh, Hugh, uh, talk to me about education and why we could do so phenomenally well that we were the model for the world in the 50s and 60s, up through and including into the 50s and 60s, and then starting in about 1969-70 and worse every year, we have become the um, the uh, mockery of the world. Explain that. It goes back I'm, to... I'm blaming you. I'm blaming you. My, explain yourself. It is my father's <laughs> yes. fault. Um, so I go back to my father's yearbooks from Arcadia High School. And the change in the photographs from 1964, 1965, 1966 to 19, I believe the year was 67 or 68, when you went from all the young men in white shirts and ties and the young women in dresses of some sort and all of the teachers properly attired uh, to mayhem. And that moment uh, that occurred in our society in which schools relaxed those standards um, gave vent to anything goes. And although there's a lovely musical to that effect, uh, it had a very different outcome. And in this instance, I think uh, standards matter. And that our school system has been denigrated by the, the voice of personal freedoms uh, to the expense of the educational process. So having run schools, one of the uh, applications in the schools I specifically ran directly was a dress code. Many people thought it was uh, to impose a, a set of standards of dress, and that is true in that 
the driving force behind it is that clothing and appearance should not be the subject of conversation, that that's taking us away from what is supposed to be going on in school, and that is the subjects being taught. Distractions. Distractions. And the brilliantly said, thank you. (laughs) And in fact, uh, I spent my time looking for ways in which we could supply a dress code that was affordable for everyone. That is to say, it also relieved by having very inexpensive clothing, uh, beige slacks for uh, young men, uh, skirts uh, for young women or slacks, uh, dress shirts, etc., all of which could be purchased at Target. That is, I eliminated the dress code elements that required specialty clothing because it was expensive. The whole goal was to end up with a standard form of dress that would not be the subject of conversation and uh, expense for families and distractions for students. And faculty members were expected to dress appropriately as well. Uh, so the headmaster at the time, that'd be me, uh, for Tempe Prep Academies when I was on campus, uh, was a suit and tie and dress shirt. Uh, that is not even how I would dress as mayor because I had to fit into different kind of categories. Um, and so all of that was driven, uh, driving toward making the substance of teaching the per- point and purpose of our being together on a daily basis. Were students relegated to that kind of behavior outside of campus? No, unless it interfered with what was going on on campus. And so as teaching has devolved into this uh, freedom opportunity, uh, for students and teachers, teachers who want to teach different from what is a standard amount of knowledge and in, uh, curriculum that we need to uh, depart to students, we're getting farther and farther away from the mission of schools. And schools are not the place where we have the exercise of the First Amendment to the extent we do uh, in other locations. Uh, in fact, it was only just a couple of weeks ago that we had the court finally talking about the fact that outside of school hours, a coach could pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, relying, as you pointed out, on the First Amendment's clause about freedom of speech, not so much on the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause. And so I think that's primarily what we face now in schools. Courts have ruled that the First Amendment does not apply to students or faculty members in camp on campus during school hours, nor should it. That's not the point. And uh, we have failed to create a, a clear curriculum that can be taught that provides, and this is the second point, yeah. a common basis of understanding our culture. When we fail to teach what is special about the founding, yes, you can teach what was failure at the founding, what the criticisms uh, that many people want to point out uh, should be acknowledged. But that still does not defeat the greatness of that founding and the opportunity that's been provided for humanity since. And we seem to forget that, and or too many people seem to forget that. And there is an, is an issue with the SAT, which I brought up earlier, which kind of drives at this. But there's another side to it, too, because, yes, of course, there are going to be cultural um, what cultural advantages in knowing a little more going into something like an SAT in certain communities than there are others. But that also is only by dint, really, of what the adults raising that child expose that child to. Uh, Edie Hirsch did this uh, big project and that was that was popular and controversial in the 80s, talking about cultural literacy, uh, that it shouldn't be a crime 
regardless of race, ethnicity, or country of origin, that we still come together on a common set of cultural understandings. Fair enough? That is what creates the basis for this society. That does not say that one cannot celebrate one's own culture, separate and distinct from the main line understanding of what makes this society different. And those who want to celebrate other cultures and claim that those cultures are special and should be celebrated, then equally ought to be understanding that this culture that has resulted from uh, several hundred years of melting pot is as important. And it is that that culture, this mainstream American culture, however you want to sort of play around the edges, I think there's a, a base level of information, knowledge, facts, and flavor that needs to be understood to be both culturally aware, but understand the meaning of this society and why it is distinct and different. And so many other people want to come here in contrast to the people who want to leave here to go elsewhere. As you've often noted, uh, the direction of climbing the fences matters. And we have fences to keep people out. Many societies have fences to keep people in. The Soviet Union was uh, greatest among them in that. And we ought to be celebrating the fact that uh, we have people who want to get here. And we can all argue over those facts about whether we let them in and who, who qualifies. But the fact is people want to get here. They're, in the, they're, they're running in a certain direction, and it ain't out. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's been a delight having Hugh Hallman in studio for the past uh, hour, as we do every Tuesday. Hugh, you want to close us out? I will give it a try and see if I uh, don't insult everybody in the audience. So contemplating this society and uh, what is special about our culture. Last hour with uh, uh, the good justice, this hour we've talked about the fact that this society had a founding and that that founding we mark at 1776. We mark it because that's when the Declaration of Independence was authored, even though for the two of us, at least, I think, it was the final uh, essence of the Constitution, not done for another 11 years, that gave rise to the tool, the means by which we formed a more perfect union. Not a perfect union, but a more perfect union. And that perfect union uh, is not, or I should say that imperfect union, needs work. And to accomplish the work, we all need to be able to talk with one another, to discuss what's wrong and offer different solutions that can bring a, uh, the majority of us, and frankly, it's a huge proportion of us together, typically 70 or 80% of the population, to solve problems. Abortion's one of those issues. It is soluble because most of our population believes in a set of principles that would allow us to come together and provide some solutions so that the press would be denied the opportunity to beat one of us up against the other one of us and rail about the 12 states who are going to criminalize uh, women's uh, uh, lives. Juneteenth is another one of those. Many people on the right denigrate it. I've actually been contemplating Maybe there's something to be ha said here, because for those of us for whom the Constitution gave us freedom and liberty, a whole host of people that we've talked about today were denied that. They were slaves in this country. And it was not until 1865 that that solution through the uh, Civil War occurred. Juneteenth celebrates the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln's perhaps greatest moment 
to free slaves on January 1st, 1863. And for people who were slaves then, that was their Declaration of Independence. Maybe that is worth celebrating to recognize the fact that we had different foundings. Folks, what a show. What a, what a day. Uh, we dealt with a lot. Thank you for doing it with us. Thanks for giving us a little of your time. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson. God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.